0: Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification and according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That right there is a Hebraism meaning firstborn male. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of And his father and his mother marveled at what was being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And his sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of the Lord was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever felt stuck in your life? Stuck in the sense that what you were doing didn't seem to be working? Stuck in the sense that uh, things felt stagnant. Like perhaps you're, you're doing all the things that you know to do. You feel incredibly active, maybe even busy, and yet you, f- you, you just feel like you're in the same place that you were years ago. You're not moving forward. Have you ever felt like you were getting so close to just that lucky break, and then right before you got it, failure? Failure. And maybe you tried again and then failure, and then failure, and failure, and failure. Maybe you're at a point of a string of failures where now you don't even feel like you're getting up anymore. You're just getting kicked while you're down. Ever felt that way? Maybe in the middle of those things, maybe around those things, you just feel like you're waiting. Waiting for what? I don't know you feel stuck? Have you ever felt like you weren't moving, like you were stagnant, like you were failing miserably, like you were waiting for a lucky break that just never seemed to happen? I think the passage that we're studying right now has a word for you today. But I would be remiss, as an American pastor, not to, at least one time, bring up that football game that happened last Sunday between the Vikings and the Saints, That, and by the way, I'm not a Viking fan or a Saints fan, but that is a sermon illustration that pastors die to have on Saturday night, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. For those of you that don't know, didn't watch or just don't care, I'm going to give you the play-by-play right now. There... The Vikings were about to lose a game with 10 seconds on the clock. The reason that this was so emotional for so many Viking fans was because of their long-storied history of losing games like this. And in the last 10 seconds, in the first service, I had a friend all the way in the back who's from Minnesota, and he literally got up with a smile on his face. And he had a baby and an ergo, too, so he was just like, Yeah! Preach it, brother! But in the last 10 seconds of this game, as they're about to lose, uh, Keenum, quarterback, lobs an improbable pass all the way uh, deep into the field in a play that they had been running, but that was very unlikely to succeed, uh, to the wide receiver, Stephen Diggs. And he catches it, much to everybody's either dismay or excitement. And even upon catching it, the game is, I mean, it's not settled there. He's catching it while being surrounded by a thicket of defenders who all they have to do is tackle the guy and run the clock out. And they're moving on uh, to the next uh, uh, section of of the championship in that division. But he catches it. The defender falls in front of him. He jumps over the guy's head and carries it on for a 61-yard touchdown. And Minnesota literally erupts. I mean, it explodes. It's like the 4th of July. And it's not just that this this was an incredibly impossible play. They're calling it the Minnesota miracle, I understand, right about now. It's not just that it was an incredible last closing 10 seconds of a game. It It also is tied in with the emotional lore of being a Minnesota Viking fan who have showed up at 26 playoff games and four Super Bowls, and have left each one of those with nothing to show for it. And I can't even imagine every fan, even the players, in that last 10 seconds of the game saying, I've I've seen this before. Maybe even tempted to put their head down, and he catches it, and in the last 10 seconds, everything is changed from that moment on. I kept hearing uh, journalists and op-ed pieces and editorials in the sports uh, section which I read quite frequently, thank you very much. Mostly on Saturday when I'm preparing a sermon. (laughs) Speaking about how the game wasn't over. I love that phrase, the game wasn't over. Ten seconds till the clock strikes and the Vikings played. They didn't give up because the game wasn't over. If there's anything I could pull from this passage that we're looking at right now, You might feel like that today. Might feel like you're in the last throws with a few seconds on the clock and there's nothing left to show for your life, but the game isn't over for you. I can't help, as I'm speaking about this, think of Simeon, who comes in on the scene in the Bible that we're, uh, in this passage that we're reading. This guy is old. He's literally on his way, I mean, he is close to his deathbed. He's about to retire from life. And up until this point, he has done all the right things that a good follower of God should be doing up until this point. He's done them all. He's been observant of the law. He's been righteous and, 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 and full of devotion and obedient to God and following and devoted wholeheartedly and still at the end of his lifespan, still waiting for the promises of God to materialize. Do you, do you see that? This is an old man about to die, and he has not yet seen the effect of a life lived for God yet. He's in the last throes, still waiting. In fact, this whole paragraph that's just loaded with all of this vernacular that might sound foreign is there for a reason. It's setting us up for a scene. And long before Simeon ever gets onto that scene, we're introduced to Joseph and Mary. And they enter into that scene. It's the this, this system of law and temple uh, observance. And, and that's what we're bombarded with in just a matter of verses. Verse 22, uh, uh, they begin the, the rite of purification, something that uh, Hebrew followers of God would have enacted uh, in that short period of time with a newborn baby. They not only do that, they dedicate their baby. Verse 22, they bring it before the Lord. Eight, year, uh, eight days old. We see that they're observant of the law of Moses in verse 22. Five times uh, does Luke bring up the law of God in this passage. The law is brought up in the gospel of Luke six times. Five of those six times, all right here. Why? Luke is trying to laser focus our attention onto a particular something. He brings up Jerusalem, that's where Joseph and Mary are. They made a pilgrimage into the temple to make an offering of turtle doves, which is a sacrifice common for the poor. There are a couple poor people rearranging their lives around uh, the law of God. And then finally, we're introduced to Simeon and Anna, two fixtures of the temple system. You know, what Luke is doing here is highlighting an old system under the law. He's trying to get our attention. He's saying, this is how people lived. This is what they did. And Joseph and Mary are right in the middle of it, and they're doing a pretty good job. They're observing all the things. They're doing all the right stuff. They are are faithful to God. They are obedient to God. They're they're careful uh, with what he has said. They're living lives that are devoted to God, and they run face-to-face with Simeon, who's been doing the same thing, but his entire life. And he still is waiting for the reward, for the outcome, for the promises that God has made to him, of following him. Joseph and Mary, just young little lovebirds that had their lives just turned on its head, confronting Simeon who's doing what they're doing, but he's been doing it their whole life, still waiting. I wonder. I don't know what they're thinking at this point, but I wonder if just for a moment a thought occurred to one of them, like, oh, man, Simeon he has been doing this a long time. He's still here doing the same thing, waiting. How long are we going to wait? Have you ever felt stuck like that? Have any of you ever felt like, gosh, I've been following Jesus for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and it's not working out. It's not what I expected. There's some hard moments. I feel stuck. I want out of this stuckness. And if that's you, you need to pay attention to Simeon right now. Because at a certain point in his long decades of waiting, he gets a revelation from God that changes his life forever, the remaining time that he has. He gets a revelation. We see it in verse 26. At a certain point in his waiting, it says, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. All of a sudden, right there, whenever that happened, Simeon gets his breakthrough. At a certain point in his life, after waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, Simeon gets his breakthrough, and right in that moment that we just read, he is now holding Jesus. Everything that, would, that the promises of God were reaching forward, and I can only imagine him sitting there with this eight-day-old baby in his arms, going, realizing everything I spent my life up until this point doing was worth it all the trenches I walked in with God, all the times I studied this scripture, all the times I, I, I was with the people of God, even though they're drama sometimes, all the times I persevered and endured, all the times I, I returned to the Lord, all of those moments, they were worth it, and this is why. It's true. Can you imagine if Simeon gave up when he was 35. 47, 62, 79, 81. I don't know how old he is right here. Can you imagine if he gave up just right before his breakthrough came? I'm saying all of this to you because perhaps some of you are in this room right now saying, I'm stuck and I need to get unstuck. That's all that matters. It's so like my, my human tendency to just be so buried in the one-foot perimeter of what's going on right here that I don't see what's happening right there. Perhaps you're there with me. Like, all I care about is that I'm stuck in this thing, this situation, and I need to get unstuck. When maybe, like Simeon, God has you stuck, waiting, growing older, nothing happening, nothing to show for it. Because he wants to show himself to you in such a way that you never would have noticed had you given up in round one. Maybe God has you in the situation you're in right now because there's stuff that he wants to reveal in your life that you never would have been receptive to had you been driven by your own self-sufficiency, self-confidence, set for life. Maybe he has you waiting because your breakthrough is about to come. Do you know what the significance of this revelation to Simeon is, at least for me? Is that God was working the whole time. And Simeon, holding a literal baby in his hand that's going to change the universe, realized in that moment, now he's believed it this whole time it seems, but in that moment it's like it crystallized in his heart. All the promises of God are true. God has been working this whole time, even though I didn't see him, and I see him now. But for however many decades that he's been toiling, being faithful to the Lord, struggling, all of those things that we deal with on a regular basis, I can only imagine what was going through Simeon's heart at that moment. God is working When the answer finally comes to Simeon, after all those years, he takes Jesus in his arms and he says a priceless, unforgettable statement. One that Christians have been praying for thousands of years during evening prayers. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Pray that to God when you go to bed tonight. Simeon had a different meaning. I think what he meant was, The Savior is real, God's promises are true, I can die now. This is all I needed to see. Brothers and sisters, some of you need to see something. Some of you need a revelation of God's faithfulness in your life right now. Simeon saw Jesus, eight-day-old baby, and believed He's been believing this whole time by faith, but in that moment, it was like all the promises of God associated with Jesus just crystallized in his heart. No matter how impossible they seemed at the time, Simeon was able to go to bed that night with confidence. That was all the proof he needed. Brothers and sisters, you can do that too. I love this passage by the apostle Paul in the letter to the uh, second letter to the Corinthians. He says, "All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ." And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. In other words, Paul is saying everything that God has ever promised you, everything that God has promised in the scriptures, they are yes. He's almost speaking in this weird tense, like they're going to happen, they haven't happened yet, but they might as well be spoken about in the past tense because they're true. Every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus Christ. I love how the New King James Version throws in the amen in there. I love the word amen, by the way. Amen, you know what amen means? It's more than just like a period at the end of your prayers, right? Like, ah, oh, I don't know what to pray anymore. Amen. <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> amen actually comes from the Greek word meaning so be it. When you, when you say amen, and you should be saying amen all the time, but only to good stuff, right? You, should, you are literally saying, okay, everything that I prayed in accordance with God's will, so be it. There is this old, like, 400-year-old catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism uh, that people used to and still do, uh, used to train their children and each other in theology. And it it was in question and answer form. I love the last question. It says this, question 129. (laughs) What does the little word amen express? Answer. Amen means, this shall truly and surely be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. you hear that? Isn't that so the truth? In other words, God is more concerned about answering his prayers in accordance with his will than you are about praying for him. All of you wanting a breakthrough in your life, you want God to show up, you want a revelation of his goodness and grace, God wants it more than you do. Can I get an Amen. All the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes. They're never no. That also should give us tremendous confidence because we can't ruin his promises. There was nothing Simeon could do to stop Jesus from being born. There was nothing Anna could do. There was nothing Joseph could do. There was nothing Mary could do. God was going to do his thing. He was just opening up the floor for them to participate in what Jesus was about to do. You cannot thwart God's plans. You cannot thwart his good attributes and his character. You cannot thwart his promises. And there are a lot of promises in scripture for people like you and me. I get in this thing and start reading them. God's maybe speaking to you. Maybe he's been speaking something in your life. Maybe it was years ago and you've just never seen the fulfillment of it. Maybe you're about ready to give up. There's 10 seconds on the clock and you've got your head down. You're like, I'm just going to walk to the locker room. It's over. Game isn't over. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. What we can learn from Simeon is that God is always working. God is working. And here's the thing. Even when you do not see him working. Simeon didn't know all of you know, He didn't see all of this in those years prior. God was still working that I think is the significance of him holding baby Jesus and saying now I can go to sleep forever. God is working. He's been working and he's working in your life even if you don't see it. God always has a breakthrough planned. But here's the thing. It doesn't always look the way that we expect. Enter Mary. At this point, Simeon, who just got the revelation of his life, saw God in bodily form as an eight-day-old baby, is now ready to crash. But before he does, he turns to to young Mary and gives her a revelation. And he says this, verse 33 through 35, And the father and his mother marveled at what was being said about him, uh, their boy, Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Meaning, this guy's going, he's, he's going to create some conflict here. People are either going to love him or hate him. And then he goes on, And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, that is not the type of breakthrough I signed up for. You know, like you're a... A new mom and you just had a baby, that's not like the kind of revelation you're looking for. Something's going to happen to your little boy that's going to pierce both of your souls. We know what's going to happen. He's going to die. This is not what she signed up for. And it, not just Mary, but all of Israel. They were, they were confident that a breakthrough was coming. You read the Old Testament, you see that clearly. But what happened in Jesus was not quite what they expected. You know what they expected? They expected a Messiah to be sent from God, who would have a long broadsword, and a, a loud mouth, and a vicious temperament, and who would ransack their, uh, uh, their oppressive, uh, the oppressive empire of Rome, knock down uh, those, those fortresses, and elevate Israel to a superpower like they used to be in the days of King David. That's what they were looking for. That was their expectation. So yeah, they were confident that there was a breakthrough coming. They just had a preconceived idea of what it was supposed to be like. And instead, they get a Messiah who dies at the hands of that very empire. They got a Messiah who who certainly was about to bring a revolution, but not the type that we think of with armies and weapons and arguments. Instead, he would start his revolution by quietly freeing the human heart from its misery. The Bible tells us that he ultimately did this by his act of death on the cross. Now when Jesus died on the cross, it was not the same as just any other human death. And here's the reason why. Jesus is unique in the sense that he is fully God and fully human. That means he can represent both. So when he dies, it wasn't just this simple act of nonviolence. It was a vicarious sacrifice and a liberating move for all of humanity. The Bible teaches us in Romans 6, in Colossians chapter 3, that when Jesus died, he, just didn't, he didn't just die uh, on, his, uh, on his own account, but that all people at all times can enter into his death and resurrection by faith. His death is vicarious. We get the benefits of that, 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 that. I don't even know what to call it. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 tells us that we were buried therefore by faith. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That means his death was actually able to open up a way for us to truly live. His death and his resurrection caused life for the rest of the planet. Imagine if Mary gave up. As a young teenage girl in that room talking to scary Gabriel, getting a, a lifelong plan scripted for her that she didn't, she didn't exactly sign up for or expect. But she didn't give up. Mary knew her breakthrough was coming. She knew she was a part of something big. Like Simeon, like Mary, like the Minnesota Vikings. You need to hear something this afternoon that might change your life. I don't know where you've been, or what you've been going through, or what you're going through now. I've heard a few things given the last couple weeks that we've been through. Not good stuff, devastation, torment, turmoil, grief, loss not counting all the thousands of other normal, horrific things that happen in the course of a normal human life. In a room this size, I'm guessing that there's a lot of things happening that are unpleasant and full of suffering and travail. I don't know specifically what those things are, but as you go through them, you might have your head down, you might be ready to call it quits, and to throw in the towel, but if there's anything you can get from this passage with Simeon Joseph, Mary, the game is not over. The game is not over. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. You see 10 seconds on the clock and you are in a place of despair, and you just want to call it, you just want to go home right now. It's not over. Don't give up breakthrough is coming you might not see it you might not even expect it it might not even look the way that you were hoping for but if God is in it it will be good and it will be right now you might not even believe that this morning maybe you believe that you know, maybe, maybe you believe that God is out to get you <laughs> Maybe you believe that God is generally benevolent to most people, but not me. Maybe you think that he's abandoned you, doesn't care about you, has left you on your own. So I want to end. I'm going to ask Brian to come out as we transition into song. I just want to end with a list of passages from the Bible that prove that you're wrong. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15 through 17. All of Israel is surrounded by their enemies, their small, marginalized, unresourced group of people that's about to be wiped off the face of the planet by multiple armies, and they're in despair. They have no way to go, no way out. And God speaks through King Jehoshaphat and says to the people, which is what I'm saying to you, you do not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position." See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Are you getting the gist right about now? Attention uh, moves from you to God who is faithful. If there's any reason you and I can carry on into Monday, it's not because we're faithful, but because God is faithful to you. Hebrews chapter, uh, excuse me, Psalm chapter 27, verse 13 through 14, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. I'm going to see that revelation. I'm going to see that breakthrough. It's coming my way. Wait for the Lord, the psalmist says. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. God is not in the business of ripping his people off. He has a good life plan for you. A life that he has destined from the foundations of the earth. There may be hiccups along the way. But knowing what i know about jesus in the few years that i've walked with him he's never let me down he won't let you down either but no you don't believe me yet so i'm just going to keep reading matthew chapter uh, galatians chapter 6 verse 9 let us grow not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up matthew 10 verse 22 in the words of jesus the one who endures to the end will be saved you say yeah but i'm out of endurance that's the one thing i'm lacking Is endurance. Well, first Peter 1, 3 through 9. We by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You say, Yeah, but I I just I, I feel so isolated and alone. I can't do this thing by myself. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight, the sin which so closely uh, clings to us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter and quarterback of our faith, the one who never drops the ball and never loses games, even though it looks like he's about to lose a game because he is strapped to a cross, unbeknownst to the enemy. He'll leave that cross in the grave and rise from the dead showing that he is in control of all things and if he is in control of all things he can certainly be in control of the nuances of your life right now but all of that is not actually in the bible so i'll just keep going sorry who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame is seated at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted either you might say yeah but is what I'm doing even really matter I'm a nobody doing a nothing 1 Corinthians 15 thanks be to God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your life is not a waste, brothers and sisters. You say, yeah, but I'm tired. I believe all of that. I want to I go forward, but I try to endure. I'm just, I've got an empty tank right now. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Friends, I want to paint that picture of a God with limited, uh, limitless resources and power, but also limitless love for the people that he has created. Looking at you specifically and saying, I'm calling you to step out of the boat into the plan that I have for your life. Are you going to go with me? I'll give you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness and I will be with you, lo, always to the end of the age. He's reaching out his hand, hoping that he will meet yours to go with him on the adventure of a lifetime, what we like to call at this church, Apprenticing Jesus. If you want to take that invitation, you can do that right now heart believe that he is who he said he is that he did what he said he would do and that he's coming back one day and in the interim period he leaves you with his holy spirit to become like him to follow him wherever he sends you to go But whatever you do don't give up breakthrough is coming heavenly father we come before you in the name of jesus As we sing songs about your faithfulness, about your goodness, and we respond to you in kind, we ask that by your spirit you would open up our hearts to receive all that you want to do and work in our lives right now. You're the king of the world, Jesus. You own all of this. This is your operation your universe, your planet, everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you, and you will one day return to claim it as your prize. And in this period, we pray with the rest of the church, may your kingdom come and your will be done in Santa Barbara as it is in heaven. And may that start even on a smaller level with our own hearts. May you craft them a little bit more towards your direction as we sing and pray. In Jesus' name.